On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we welcome Mary Kubica, author of your favorite thrillers, including The Good Girl, The Other Misses, Local Woman Missing, and her latest, the instant New York Times bestseller, Just the Nicest Couple. Her books have been translated into over 30 languages and have sold over 2 million copies worldwide. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Does that ever get old, instant New York Times bestselling author? <laughs> no, never. Um, <laughs> um, this is my fourth book now that hit the bestseller list, and it doesn't ever get old. I mean, when I got the call from my editor last week that it had made the bestseller list, we were both in tears. And, you know, Aww. you always hope, but you never know. And even if it seems like everything is moving in the right direction, it's still never a guarantee. So sure. um, no, it, it's never not a thrill. <laughs> yeah, oh, I love that. I love it. Yeah, it doesn't wear off. The, the excitement doesn't wear off four right. times. Good, we, good. So we get are, so yeah. excited too, by the way, when like for the authors that we love, like we're checking too to see too. We're like, oh, she made it. She made it. Yes, so, it's true. Yeah. Oh, that's probably so not as excited as you, but we're very excited. <laughs> no, it's so fun, you know, and having connected with just so many people on social media over the last few years, I can feel that enthusiasm. Yeah. You know, as soon as I was able to share on social media that it had hit the bestseller list, you can just see and people's responses and, and, you know, the way people are sharing and retweeting things. And you can just feel that love and support for the book. Oh, that's so great. I love that. Well, tell our listeners um, who maybe haven't picked it up yet what The Nicest Couple is about. Yeah. So Just the Nicest Couple, is it's about two different couples, actually. We meet um, Lily and Christian first, and they're just kind of like your perfect couple. They're happily married very much in love. Um, They've just purchased the home of their dreams. Lily is expecting, they've had a number of miscarriages in the past, but she's nearing the end of their, the first trimester and they're just, they're in a good place. They're feeling really optimistic about their future and starting their family. Um, Nina and Jake, on the other hand, are just, their marriage is really on the rocks. They're just, they're always fighting. There's so much animosity there. Um, Jake works as a neurosurgeon, so he has incredibly long, stressful hours. Um, Nina's a teacher, like Lily is. The two of them work together. Um, But Nina's also taking care of her mother, who is getting older and starting to have some health issues, one of which is that she's losing her vision. And so um, she relies on Nina more and more for help. And um, this this creates some tension in the marriage, too, because Jake feels a little resentful of the time that Nina spends with her mother. So there's just there's a lot of animosity there. Um, yeah. And then one night, Jake, this neurosurgeon goes missing. And Nina's sure that, you know, it has something to do with a big fight they had the night before. He's gone to a friend's house or a hotel, and he's just 
blowing off steam and we'll be back in a couple days. But then a couple days pass and he doesn't come home. And a few things happen in there that make her realize, you know, there might be more to this, that maybe something has actually happened to her husband. Um, Lily, the other woman, knows that she was the last to see Jake before he went missing. So she confesses to her own husband, Christian, what happened. And the two of them decide that they will do anything to keep the truth from coming out. So it's really like a cat and mouse game. We have one woman, Nina, desperate to find her missing husband and this other couple who will do anything to stop that from happening. Mary, you loaded the gun right away. Wow. I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, you come into these situations, and I think this is consistent in all of your books. There's so much going on, but it's already happened. So it's like we are learning all of this as we go, but you've, you've front-loaded it so that we're in, like hooked right away. I love that about your books. Thank you. Yeah, that's one of the things that I really do try to do is just drop the reader right in. You know, there's no buildup necessarily. We're just in the action and then trying to kind of figure out what happened, what got us here. What's happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love that you have a missing husband. I I mean, how many missing wife stories do we have to read before finally now we've got one where there's a missing husband? Not that I want the men to go missing, but, (laughs) you know, maybe a little equality here in terms of who's gone missing. Right. And that was actually one of my like my first, um, you know, idea about this book. And I myself am guilty of of writing the the missing women books, too. But um, yeah, I just feel like whether it's in fiction or on the news, you don't hear too much about missing husbands. And so I wanted to explore that and see if, you know, ultimately it's the same story or if it's maybe a little bit different. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. So the book is written from alternating points of view. We have Christian, as you said, that's Lily's husband, and Nina, who's the wife of Jake, the missing husband. And on this podcast, we do focus on complicated women, but this feels very much like Christian's story to me. So I do want to start with him. I heard you say that you wrote his entire story all the way through before writing Nina's point of view. So I'd love to hear, first of all, about that um, and just how his voice and and point of view came to you and really why you felt you needed to write it first. Yeah. So I've written all of my books from multiple um, points of view. I just, I like coming at the story from different angles. You know, I think that with many narrators or at least a couple of narrators, you can, you can get a different perspective of the story as it unfolds. And, you know, sometimes the different narrators are telling a different version of the truth, um, you know, and so then it's up to the reader to figure out what is really happening and who to believe. Which is very true to life, mm-hmm. right? That's the way it- <laughs> your your point of view of this interview is going to be, you know, it's it's just how it works, right? It's it so is. true. I always say, yeah. you know, I would make the worst witness, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've seen like an accident happen in an intersection and I'm sitting at the red light and a second later, I can't really tell you what happened, you know? So we all kind yeah. of go, we have different memories of it and of everything. And they're, of course, all skewed by our own, um, our own pasts and, you know, yes. all of that. So, but Christian right away, you know, once I kind of settle in, I, on an idea for a story, and this one was a missing husband, um, you know, then the next thing I ask myself is who's going to tell this story? And so once I had kind of my my cast of characters, I figured that Christian and Nina were in the best positions to tell the story. So, um, you know, Christian is the not missing husband, and then Nina is the wife of the missing husband. So they could really give us a different perspective. Um, 
And Christian was just, he was talking a little bit more loudly to me. You know, I kind of, mm-hmm. I knew, I kind of can envision sort of like that opening scene where Christian comes home to find Lily and she's upset, but he doesn't know why. And I, I sort of envisioned that. So I started there and um, Christian was one, a lot of people asked, did Christian or Nina, could I could I connect with them more? And I think that people would assume I might say Nina because she's a woman. Um, she's a teacher. I used to be a teacher. She and I just maybe have more in common on the surface. But Christian, I connected with right away. There's something about, you know, he has this deep, deep desire to protect his wife and his unborn child that really spoke to me. Um, so I just, I heard his voice right away. I felt like I could really understand him as a character. I could understand his motivations. Even as, you know, as the book goes on, he makes some questionable choices, I understood why he was doing the things he was doing. So I could really connect with him. And so, yes, you know, it was one of the like writing styles that I started with my first book, just this writing one narrator at a time in its, you know, in his or her entirety, and then going back to the beginning. And initially with my first book, The Good Girl, it was out of necessity. I was just having trouble kind of keeping the characters you know, organized in my head. And then the plot line was nonlinear. So I had, you know, before and after chapters, and it was just sort of all over the place. And as a writer, I was struggling to keep that all in my head. I'm not a plotter, you know, I just write. So I struggled with that a little bit. And so at the time, I thought, okay, I'm going to simplify this, I'm going to break it down. Let me just take one of these narrators and write his or her story. And so it's something that worked. And I've done for all of my books. This one I had to, you know, I wrote Christian as far as I could. I think his and Nina storylines are so in sync at a certain point. You know, what is happening in Christians really mirrors what is happening in Nina's. So there came a point that I did kind of have to backtrack a little bit and start to insert some of Nina's chapters because it was becoming too hard to figure out how this was all going to go together. But I wrote Christians. I mean, I probably got a good three fourths of his storyline before I went back and started to create Nina. And then you go back, do you essentially delete all of that or not delete it, but just like use it as now let me tell the story that the reader is going to read. Is that how that works? So I have like literally two different documents on my computer. I have a Christian document and a Nina document, you know? And so when I'm writing it, it's almost like two separate books. And then, um, you know, either, either I just, you know, on the computer will start to merge it together. Or what I really love to do is just go and print both documents out and just kind of start to work it back together. Things have to be shuffled around. You know, there's definitely things that are happening in Christian's chapters or being revealed in, in Christian's chapters that aren't meshing with what's happening in Nina. So then I have to shuffle some things around. Um, it always sounds so messy whenever I describe my process and it, it probably is a messy process, but I don't know. <laughs> it I just makes sense love, to you. It does. Yeah. And I love yeah. that way of just like naturally organically getting to know these characters and their stories and not really putting too much thought into it before I start writing. Yeah. yeah. I think that's why, or maybe if, to me, I think what comes out of that process, it sounds like is so much more character development, because if you were just going from start to finish, you'd be really focused on what happens plot wise, but then you get to have so much of a, a more depth in the character um, development when you do it that way, it sounds like to me. I think so, you know, and I think, you know, character is so important to me. You know, and I know this genre, it's a lot about, you know, the fast pace and the plot twists and all of that. But I think character is just so vital to, you know, and it's not that all my readers are going to like my characters necessarily, but I want you to have some sort of connection to them. And even if you're not agreeing with the choices that they make, I want you to feel like you understand why they're making these choices, that they're 
they're plausible. You know, it's maybe not what you would do, but you could see why somebody would do this. And so I really do. I think that having that emotional connection is one of the things that really keeps the reader into the book. You know, even if they figure out the plot twist, they still want to know how these characters' lives end up. Yes, yes. So I want to talk about Lily because she is the catalyst for this, the mystery that goes on here, right? She is the last person to have seen Jake, to see Jake before he goes missing. And she has information that no one else has. How were you able to make, or what, what were you inspired by? What were your challenges in trying to make Lily relatable to the reader and have us know her, but also keep those secrets and, and slowly reveal that information? Yeah, you know, so Lily, and it was one of the reasons that I chose for her to not be a narrator, because I wanted to kind of get this perspective of Lily from Christian and Nina's points of view. You know, how do other people see her? And she definitely, I think, comes across to the reader as sort of fragile. She's in a fragile state. You know, she's she's pregnant. She's had a number of miscarriages before this. So she's definitely in a fragile state. And She's been through a pretty traumatic experience, which, you know, I'll let, I'll let the reader, you know, figure out what happens there. But um, so, you know, we have this view of her as this kind of painted by other people. And and we don't hear from her directly, which, again, that was intentional. I wanted I wanted her to be a bit of a mystery to readers. You know, we're only getting other people's perspectives of her and we sort of have to fill in the missing pieces. And that, um, you know, it creates it's a challenge then as a writer because she herself is sort of an enigma to me and to the reader. And so I want to make sure you know that there is enough enough told about her that you can start to form a, a picture, but not so much that she's like crystal clear. I want the reader to be able to fill in some of those gaps too with their, their own interpretation. Yeah, yeah. And that's the perfect device for it because if we're in her head or we're getting her perspective in any way, a lot of that's going to be known to us. And instead, like you just said, the word mystery, that's exactly what it is. That's right. Yeah. So we also want to talk about Nina. As you said, she is going through a lot. She's dealing with her ailing mother. She's having issues in her marriage. But she's not just sort of the woman whose white husband is missing, like the other half of this couple. I mean, she and Lily are friends. I mean, they're co-workers. We learn that she was um, a mentor to Lily at school. And as couples, they would hang out together. And so it really adds this kind of complicated layer of connection and intimacy between them, which makes the fact that Christian and Lily are keeping these secrets um, all the more compelling. So I just loved how their friendship and the, the ways that they're connected that way are sort of adding this layer of the into the mystery and also adding to this theme, as you said, of, you know, how far will people go to protect the ones they love? But Also, how much are you willing to hurt a friend to protect yourself? So why was this something that um, you wanted to explore? Yeah, you know, I think that it's one of those things that until we're put in positions like the characters in this book are put in, we don't know how we're going to react, you know? And and thank goodness, yeah, the vast majority of us have not been put in a similar situation <laughs> as these characters. So I think you can read it and think, well, I would never do that. I would never do that to a friend, you know? But, right. but again, you're not in this situation. So that's just one of those themes that I like to explore in many of my books. You know, and I know my last book, Local Woman Missing, kind of touches on a similar theme, is what would you do when your back is really against a wall and you're just desperate to escape a situation 
who are you willing to hurt or are you willing to hurt others um, to get out of that? And yeah, you, like like you say, the fact that um, Nina and Jake and Christian and Lily, they've, they've hung out, you know, they've gone out to dinner together to uh, faculty parties for the school where the mm-hmm. two women teach so that they, they know each other, but the two women know each other very well. They've taught together for years. Nina was a mentor to Lily. So they're really close, you know, so when this conflict comes between them, it's really interesting to see how it changes the dynamics of that, yeah. especially when Lily and Christian know something that Nina does not. So, you know, Nina is trying to lean on Lily for support. But Lily and Christian know that, you know, they have some involvement in what happens. So that definitely changes the dynamics um, of that friendship. And I think that, you know, Nina's Nina's a complicated character and she has so much going on in her life. And when the book begins, she's just kind of in this, well, really through the whole book, but she's in this state of turmoil and she's really kind of a bit... I don't want to say that she's out of control because she's not, but she feels like she has this doesn't have control, you know, and it kind of seeps into her classroom. She's having trouble getting control of the students and things like that. But I think that, you know, throughout the book, it's kind of she gets more powerful throughout the book, I think. And she kind of gets control and and gets control of the situation herself a little bit. And that was empowering to write. Yeah, I love that. And I love the exploring the difference between what's going on on the outside and then what's going on the inside. Like you're keeping it together, but is it bleeding out a little bit into your real life? And also, are you looking perfectly fine on the outside, but something is there's so much turmoil inside? I love that exploration. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about you as an author. Uh, I have been following you since The Good Girl and been a fan since the very start. And, and this is from the outside, so you can tell me if I'm, if I'm not right. But you seem to take both the craft and the business of writing seriously. This is, I think, your eighth book. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, in, in just about as many years. And So how do you balance a schedule of kind of, it seems like being disciplined and hitting deadlines and producing these books, but also kind of with the artistic process, with wanting to to develop characters and all of these things that I think of uh, more of like really deep into the the craft of writing. Yeah. You know, I am, um, cause I just, I love what I do. I have to say, like, I think that that's kind of the overarching thing is that I'm just so passionate about writing. And, you know, this is something that I've loved since I was a little girl. So to be able to have a career doing something that I love has just, I mean, I think it's like the driving force, you know, it's just knowing that, knowing and feeling so fortunate that I get to do this for a living. But, um, I've, you know, I didn't, I, n- I never studied creative writing. This was one of those things that I just sort of, I knew I liked and I did it all the time. And I think that through that process of writing a bunch of horrible things, I would never let anybody read. <laughs> you know, somewhere <laughs> in there, I found my voice and kind of my style and figured out what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And, you know, it's just one of those things that's a process that, you know, I just learn with, with every book. And I think that, you know, for the last eight years, I've been fortunate enough to work with the same editor. And so to get feedback from her and really kind of grow and develop my my writing skills has been such a it's just been such a privilege. Um, so I do, you know, I, I, there are days that I'm definitely more motivated <laughs> to write. There are days yeah, sure. that the words flow more easily, 
But um, I just, I don't know. I think I go every new book that I start, you know, it's just such a fresh slate. And I maybe take some things that worked or didn't work with previous novels and try and figure out what was it, you know, was it something about Mm. what I was doing? Or was it, you know, kind of where my head was at the time, and figure out ways to work. And I feel like my um, routine, especially is always adapting, especially it's most dependent on what's happening, you know, at home with the family. Are, are people sure. home? I don't write very well or as well, I should say, when people are home. I'm really somebody who mm. likes quiet. So my preferred writing time is always kind of changing. It tends to be in the morning, but these days my kids, they leave for high school by 6.30. So they're, you know, my, my 5 a.m. hours are, are harder to come by these days. But, um, you know, I still I try and find the time that works where I can carve out that quiet space for me to do my work. And, um, yeah, I just I love it. I I um, I think my pace has slowed down just a little bit over the last few books. I think knowing, you know, the more books that I write and the more twists I come up with and characters, you know, you have to kind of I, I feel like you need a little bit more time to kind of outdo yourself to think of something that's yeah. totally new. Yeah. And characters that don't just sound like a character I used three books, you know, prior, but are, are wholly unique. So I have taken just a little bit more time to make sure that I'm doing those things. I would never want to feel like I was cutting corners. So, um, yeah, but I think just like the love of writing and when I get feedback from readers, I mean, it just, it is so encouraging. I can't even tell you how encouraging it is. You know, now that this book, Just the Nicest Couple, has been out for a couple of weeks and I'm hearing from readers about how much they like it, it just, it makes it so much easier every day to open up the new manuscript and get yeah. working on the new book. Yeah. I just feel that much more encouraged. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I well, love you that. You want to outdo yourself. I love yeah. that. Um, and, you know, we've spoken to so many lovely, lovely, funny, women on this podcast that write extremely dark (laughs) mysteries and thrillers. You are clearly no exception. We knew this coming in. So is it cathartic? Are you writing like your darkness out of you? Or is it just sort of fun to explore characters and people that are unlike yourself? Or maybe it's all of the above, but we'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, I think it is a little bit all of the above. I mean, I definitely think it's cathartic. You know, I, I mean, I have a lot of fun with it and it's, it's terrible, but I mean, like some of the dark scenes are some of the most fun for me to write. And I think it's just because it's so out of my everyday norm. You know, I just yeah. live this quiet suburban existence. You know, everybody's happy. <laughs> so I think that to kind of step away from that and just really create this dark side of humanity and like look at the people closest to you spouses and friends and neighbors and kind of to question how well we know those around us. I just that I find that exciting, you know, and so I do think that it's really cathartic. You know, I'm not trying to create these pictures of happy, perfect people on the page and just everybody's happy. You know, every every ending is happy. I think that I'm definitely drawing on the darker side. And so for that, yeah, it is sort of a release, you know, and just again, to put myself to look at some something, a situation that's so unlike mine and, and see how it goes. I love that. Yeah. I, why not? I love that. <laughs> um, and it's again, it's the same thing of like, the insides don't always match the outsides or like yeah. what you want to write isn't, you know, you don't have to because you write thrillers and where people go missing and people betray each other doesn't mean you have to be like, dark and brooding. Sister. And, yeah, exactly. I love that. Right. Um, another one of those women is Kimberly McCrate. And I saw you at an event with her in Brooklyn, pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is also we've had her on a couple times. And she is just so funny and 
interesting and not all dark and sinister like no. her books are. But I heard you tell a story there. Your agent was in the audience and I heard you tell the story of how you got her. And I know you've told the story before, but it's just – it's one that I love hearing even more than once because – it's so inspiring. It's this so is, inspiring. <laughs> it's so inspiring. And it just reminds you that there's a lot of factors at play, especially in the publishing world, writing inspiration, meeting the people that will take you far in life, probably in everything in life. But would you tell a little bit of that story? Um, did you just query and she said yes, and that was the end? Of, of, yeah. No, we know that's not, not exactly. I wish, I wish. <laughs> no, maybe I don't, because it is such a good story, you know, and it was one of those, even though it was hard going through it in the moment, in retrospect, it was perfect. You know, it was so worth it. But I, you know, I mentioned before, like, I just loved to write since I was young. I was always very, um, like, my writing was very private to me. It wasn't something I was freely sharing with other people, but just really keeping to myself. Um, I never thought I would want to be an author. You know, I just loved to write. But it was, again, something that was very personal. Um, I was a high school history teacher. And then when my daughter was born, this was back in 2005, I left my teaching career to start my family. And it was then that I started working on my first published book, The Good Girl, um, you know, and I, I, when I, when I started writing it, you know, at first it was just like anything else I had written, but then, I don't know, it just grabbed me, you know, the characters, the storyline really moved me in a way that nothing I had written before ever did. So I just felt like I wanted to finish this book, even if I never did anything with it, you know, I wanted to finish this book and then I did finish it. It took five years. I wrote it totally in secrecy. I did finish it, but I didn't, um, you know, I didn't know initially as I was writing it, was I going to want to do anything with this book or just keep it to myself? But when I finished it, you know, I really did feel like, okay, I'm ready. I want to put this out there and see if anything can become of it. You know, I just, I felt good about it and I wanted to share it with people, although I still didn't tell anybody in my personal life that I had written this book. So, um, you know, I didn't know anything about finding a literary agent at the time. Again, you know, I hadn't studied creative writing. I'd never been part of a writer's group. So I had to do a lot of research and I wrote up a query letter and I got a book called The Writer's Market that lists literary agencies and how to contact them. So I went through and I, I I made a list of like 100 literary agents from that book that represented, you know, the kind of book I, I had written and sent my query letter to them. Um, the way it goes, you know, some might upright ask for like a query letter and some pages. Some maybe just want the query letter. If they're interested, they'll, they'll reach out for more. So Right away, the minute I sent the, the letter out, it was like the rejections were coming back. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and you know, some of them are automatic, but there were, over time, there were three agents that asked to read the entire manuscript. And then over the next couple months, those three agents passed on it. So over time, every single agent that read the manuscript passed on it. And, you know, I thought, that was that, you know, this book is never going to be published. And I was sad. I was totally disappointed. But I think on the other hand, I knew what a long shot it was going to be. And again, yeah. you know, I hadn't studied writing. I didn't have the background for this. Um, so I wasn't I wasn't shocked, but I kept writing. Um, nothing that moved me the way the good girl had. You know, I really felt like at that point in my career, that was the absolute best I could do. Um, well, then two years after all those queries went out, two years later, one of those agents who had previously rejected it reached back out. And she wanted to know 
you know, was the book um, available? Was I being represented? And so it just so happens that the first time she read The Good Girl, she was brand new to this literary agency. She was going through um, the slush pile, which is these unsolicited manuscripts the agencies receive. She came across The Good Girl. She stayed up all night reading it. She loved it. Uh, but the next day, she couldn't get the rest of her team on board. And she was working as an assistant for somebody else. So she wasn't in a position to take on her own books. So she had to pass on her team's behalf. And then within those next two years, she was actually promoted to an agent where she could represent her own clients. And she remembered the good girl and reached back out to see if it was available. So um, it was really, like I said, two it years. Was, yeah, two That's years. Crazy. So I'm always telling, you know, I, I know that there are a lot of aspiring writers at, at events yeah. or you know, listening to podcasts. And yeah. so we always say it's so much about timing for one, you know, two years before that was not the right time for the agency, maybe for the genre, you know, whatever. And then two years later it was. Yeah. And what, what do you remember getting that? She emailed you again. Is that what happened? She emailed you two years later. And do you remember getting that email? <laughs> Were you just like, what? what? I was for a minute. I was like, What's she talking about? Yeah, <laughs> seriously. I still have it. My email has actually changed. It's actually kind of funny because at the time I had no social media presence at all. Like I did not even have a personal Facebook page. And it was only about a month or so after she reached back out that my email was hacked and I had to shut down the account. So I think all the time what would have happened oh if God. that had happened first and she would not have been able to reach me. <laughs> Oh my God. This is, I know. This is fate wild. intervened. <laughs> fate. I mean, exactly. And that's, we're sort of obsessed with, um, fate and the universe and, and we get a little woo woo on here. But, you know, I heard you say, you know, you were one person away from that book never being published. And that's exactly right. It, all these things had to come together at, in the exact right way. Um, which is amazing. And so I don't know. We, we, are obsessed with these types of themes, but, and one way we sort of, I don't know, deal with it, Corinne, when I say deal with it, um, is through astrology. We sort of, it's the way in which we believe that there's like some greater power at work, some explanation for things. It's ways we, we kind of understand ourselves. Um, so do you, we always ask our authors, what's your sign and do you relate to it? So I'm a Pisces, um, and it's oh, really on Pisces. Are you are both? Are you Pisces? Are both? Or no? No, we no. just go ahead. <laughs> I have a lot of Pisces in my chart. I'm a lot of Pisces, but I'm technically an Aries. I'm right on the cusp. Okay, okay. So I am not super into astrology. So I mean, I know that I'm a Pisces, but I, that's a, I hate to say it, but that's about the fullest extent that it goes. <laughs> There you go. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. Although, let me tell you, Pisces as a writer is yeah. a very natural uh, choice. It's a very good fit. Pisces tend to be have great imaginations, uh, very creative, dreamy, and they're also adaptable, which is yeah. very important for a writer. So many authors that we've talked to on this podcast are Pisces. So yeah, that's, that's why I said another Pisces, because I do feel like we've talked to a lot of them lately, even though I'm a Leo, she's an Aries, so we're fire mm -hmm. signs, but she has a lot of water, the Pisces in her chart. Both her kids are Pisces. My husband's a Pisces. So yeah, they're yes, very dreamy and imaginative <laughs> and feelings and, and all of that, but yeah, I just feel like 
this hands of fate thing for you has it has it come up in other ways or is that just that was because that's a pretty big one <laughs> life changing one yeah it's, I mean it's it's huge you know and you know and then even I you know it took a couple months to get the the publisher you know and then it was you know publishing can be so difficult I feel like you know at no at no stage do you feel like all the stars are aligning necessarily because you can get a publisher, but they may not support your book as much as they're supporting other books that they have that year. And but then once I did get the publisher, they they were 110 percent behind my first book. And it just, you know, I mean, I just it made it that much. Um, it just was it made such a difference, I feel like, because there are so many books yeah. that come out in the year, you know, I mean, there are so many released every single Tuesday. And it's just so easy for them to slip through the cracks. I think if you don't have the full support of a publishing team really making it visible and, you know, the connections with booksellers and um, just everybody out there that's helping support these books. So I did feel like the stars really aligned, you know, the publisher really got behind the book and the booksellers and the librarians, they seem to love it and we're happy to support it too. So um, it just made such a big difference. I love that. You know, the other thing with the stars aligning is it's so, sometimes so much easier to see in hindsight, right? Mm-hmm. During those two years that you were writing something else and yeah. your agent hadn't reached back out, I'm sure you weren't like, oh, this is great. The stars are all aligning for me to wait. And, fate, and, fate will take care of this. Right? Yeah, no. <laughs> You're like, no, this is you never going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's so true because at the time I remember, you know, my kids, I had stopped teaching when my kids, I, I had my daughter and then my son is two years younger. So I was home with them. They were starting to get older, you know, school. I think my daughter was in school maybe. And my, my I think like my daughter was in kindergarten, my son in preschool when I sold the good girl, but I didn't know if that was going to happen. So as they were getting older, you know, I was, I was starting to wonder, am I going to go back to teaching? What am I going to do when the kids go to school? You know, I was, can I teach and be home for the kids, you know, trying to figure out like, how is this all going to work? And so, no, definitely I was not just thinking, you know, I can, I can wait, you know, I'll just wait. Yes. (laughs) Fate should be coming around anytime now. (laughs) No. I love that. So we also like to ask all our authors what you're loving right now. Um, Just anything that you're obsessed with, books, TV shows, movies, podcasts, because anything that you're excited about, we like to get excited about too. So. Yeah, Love so I'm that. always I'm always very fortunate to get um like arcs of books that aren't out mm-hmm. yet to read to get a sneak peek. So I did just finish May Cobb's A Likable Woman, which I want to see is out this summer, and I just finished it. It's fantastic. It's it's my it's like my favorite combination of a really good page turning thriller with the emotion. You feel a lot of emotion for the characters mm-hmm. in this book, so that was fantastic. Um, one that's out right now that I just finished listening to. I'm a big audiobook person too, is um, Hidden Pictures by Jason Rakulik. Oh, I'm not yes. sure if I said that correctly, yes. but um, yeah. that one's really good. And I did it on audio, like I said, and I have to say the narrator is fantastic. So just if got, you're somebody that- it. Oh, yeah. Oh my gosh. Have you read it yet? Yeah. Oh. I haven't. I just got it. I, I, everyone's talking about it. I started okay. the first 20 pages and I'm hooked. Yeah, it's so I'm good. writing this down because I'm yeah. a big audible person. You're telling me the narrator is good too, which makes she's all the so difference. So good. Yes. She's so good. And I wish I could tell you her name, but I cannot. But she's fantastic. Okay. And um the it's one of those books, just like May Cobb's book, that it's it's like a great page turning. It's scary, it's more of a ghost story. Um, but it's also the emotion. I mean, the emotion that you feel, especially for this main protagonist, is just 
I don't know. There's a lot. Um, it's just, yeah. it's phenomenal. I love that one. And then I've just started reading an arc of um, Ashley Audrain's The Whisper. Oh, the Whispers. Oh, don't oh, don't even. Yeah. We're obsessed <laughs> with Ashley. No, we don't have it yet, but we don't worry. That's where we love her. We're very excited. Yeah. 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 So I'm excited to read that one. I'm just uh, like 20 pages into it. Um, And then watching, this is not, this is not new, but it's like new to us. Uh, My husband and I got into Mm. a series called, it's more nonfiction, but it's um, disappeared and it's all about missing persons cases. And it's, it's more like unsolved mysteries, which of course is the hard thing. Like I want answers and there are, there are never any answers. You can kind of, sometimes you have a hunch as to what has happened, but it's never explicitly said, but that one's really good. There are like 10 seasons. So we've just discovered this and we're making Oh, wow. back through them, but um, they're really, I have to say, they're really sad. I mean, I feel at the ends of each episode, you know, you just, it's really eye-opening, you know, how many missing persons cases there are and, you know, only a handful of them ever make it to the news, but there are just so many more happening all the time. Isn't it interesting that the ones that stick with you, you're saying you want answers. I think that's why I like finding out about these unsolved ones because then my brain kind of attaches to it. There was that um, young girl, like a three-year-old girl who went missing. I can't remember where it was. Madeline McCann. Yes. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Obsessed. I'm so Mm -hmm. obsessed. I can never stop thinking about like, what happened? And they have no answers. No answers. Right. Those things stick with you. Seems like, you know, research slash fodder for future novels, though. You know, it's like that's where your writer brain fills in all the possibilities and scenarios and yeah. Right. yeah yeah it's so true you know and i'm i'm always you know watching the news or listening to podcasts and just you know whatever little inspiration it doesn't have to be the whole story but you know sometimes yeah. you just hear yeah. one little detail that is like oh my gosh maybe there's a story yeah. there <laughs> that's yeah. because that's the thing with those stories they are so specific they're so detailed and they want to give you all the details because there are no answers, right? So that's that's what they have to give you to that's concrete to to hold on to, and so that's why they really come alive in my mind too. Yeah, because uh, there's such details. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I have to ask. Wait, one question on Audible. What speed do you listen on? Anytime I find an Audible and <laughs> a fellow Audible listener, I need to know their speed. Okay, so I, I start just straight up like one, you like one point oh, you oh. know. But that's at the beginning. I have to get like, like acclimated to the near. No, not the whole time. <laughs> okay, okay, I have to get a little acclimated to the the narrator's voice, especially if they have an accent. Then it just takes me a little a little bit to settle. But then I do start. Okay, I only go up to one point five. I have to say, like if okay. they start to sound like the chipmunks, I've gone. Yes, too far. it yes. changes the whole thing. I oh, do that completely. with podcasts. I yeah. only I only do on two if I'm like searching for something or like waiting right. for something. But 1.5 is my sweet spot too. Yes. I I found I can go to 1.6, but that's Ooh. maximum, maximum. <laughs> I, you know, Chandler Baker always writes about this on her Instagram too. And she can go up to like 2.0. And every time she says that, I, I have to comment. I'm just, I'm, I don't, that <laughs> goes, that's a bridge too far. Then it, it changes is the, the voice. It is. Yeah, right. It is. Yes. Yeah, it's like, I, I want to enjoy it. And I want to definitely go at a little bit faster speed than it is given to me. But I don't yeah. want to feel like I'm racing through. Like, you know, if my yeah. if my mind drifts for a split second, I've missed a chapter. <laughs> right. Yes. If you're yes. at one five and then I accidentally hit down to one, I'm like, what there it feels like they're talking <laughs> like this. I'm like, oh my God. I can yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so everybody's yeah. got their sweet spot. I was just curious. <laughs> sure, I love it. That's a great question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Mary, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this was such a pleasure as yes. we expected that it would be. And I appreciate you making time for us. You're taking a little bit of time for another book or you're already in process? Yeah, so I am like three fourths of the way through it. I'm really excited. My I'm, my word count is at seventy three thousand as of this morning. So I usually aim for between ninety and a hundred thousand. So I am very close. Um, I'm yes. hoping to have a draft to my editor maybe March. Um, so I'm feeling really, really good about it. I don't really have anything to share about it just because no, I never no, know, no. you know, how it's going to change. But yeah. I, I am really excited. I've had a great time writing this one. Some books, you know, are just they flow a little bit easier and some like to fight me the whole way. But this one was yeah. pretty cooperative. So um, it's oh, been nice. Yeah. Awesome. Good. We're, we're glad to hear it. We can expect more then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I love chatting with both of you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.